Good morning, Orangewood. I'm kind of glad Jack got wrapped up in that song. We should all get wrapped up in what we're doing this morning. What a privilege and a high calling it is to be gathered as the church, his church. And it's a living thing we do here. This is not rote. We don't just read some outline. I mean, this, this is to be alive, right? Because our Savior is alive and he's given us the Holy Spirit who is alive, who is life. I mean, it's where vibrancy comes from, life comes from. And we're here, we're here together. Hey, summer is almost upon us. Uh, and likely, you need some R&R. Can I get an amen? <laughs> for some of us, summer's not any different from any other season. But for most of us, there's something about summer, at least. Maybe we take a vacation or, you know, at least routine changes. Sometimes, for moms, it can get harder because the kids are home every day. They're not off to school. But traditionally, summer is a time when, yeah, yeah, there's, there's something different. There's a different pace, things to look forward to, uh, to get some R&R. What's R&R? Rest and relaxation. Um, it's also a great time for some other R&Rs. How about reconnecting? How about renovating? How about reassessing? So here's what your teaching team here at Orangewood has done. We are going to focus during the summer Sunday sermons. We're, we've starting, we're starting a series this morning called R&R. And, uh, and our hope and our prayer is that this community would be refreshed, renewed, encouraged as, as his church. We've been through a lot of hard things. We could use some R&R, couldn't we? So that's the series, R and R. Each one of the messages will point and inspire us to seek God more fervently, draw closer to him wholeheartedly, find him more personally and intimately so that we can live lives fully refreshed and more vibrantly alive. Renewal. I need it every day. And we need it as a church in particular. So this morning, as we start this series, we're going to go back. Where do you start an R&R series? At the beginning. We're going to look at the passage, or an A passage, at the beginning of the New Testament church, Acts 2, 36 through 40. Okay, and the R&R for this morning, it's actually three R's. It's repent and resolve to remain. Repent and resolve to remain. And you're going to find that word remain is going to be in all of the R&R titles moving forward. Why? Because everything we do to find renewal and refreshment has to come out of the fact that we remain in Christ. We're called to abide in Jesus, to abide in our connection and our relationship with him. And out of that abiding comes refreshment, comes rejuvenation. So today, however, is repent and remain. Because where do you start 
Where do you start to begin to find R&R, true R&R, soul R&R? You start with repentance and then resolving to remain. Let me read the text. I think it's up here. There it is. Let the house of Israel. Oh, let me pray. That would be a really smart thing to do before I launch into a sermon. Let's pray together. Father God, I need you. I need you for my next brainwave and my next breath, let alone my next thought, my next word. We need you this morning. Father, by your Holy Spirit, come. Come and move and refresh, inspire and encourage, challenge and convict us. We need you more than we understand, more than we're even to admit this morning. We're willing to admit we need you. So by your Holy Spirit, come quicken our souls. Shake us to the core. Wake us up. Give us joy. Show us that all rest comes from you. So please, Father, speak through this broken vessel. I need you. If I am going to be any good for my family in the body of Orangewood this morning, I need you to be my power, to be my guide. Thank you, Lord. We trust and thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read the scripture. Acts 2, verses 36 through 41. Let all the house of Israel. This is Peter, by the way. He's finishing his Pentecost sermon. Okay, he's finishing it up. And uh, it is interesting, just a little context. This is the first sermon from the first preacher of the New Testament church. Okay? The first one. Christ has died, rose, taught his followers about the kingdom, ascended, and 10 days later, poured out his spirit on his followers. And now Peter is preaching. <clears throat> it is interesting. This is the one who two months earlier had denied even knowing Jesus three times. Now he's boldly preaching to a crowd of several thousands. And the portion of his speech that we have recorded here, actually the portion of his speech recorded in Acts 2, guess what? The, the portion of his sermon, I read it and timed it. Three minutes. Sorry, you're going to get more than three minutes from me. Three minutes. 3,000 people became Christ followers that day. Amazing. So here we are, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. 
And he testified with many other words. Thank goodness. He testified with many other words and exhorted them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And just to give you a little context, look around. I don't know. There's probably 450 people in here. I don't know. 400. I'm not sure. 3,000 people responded to this first sermon of the New Testament church era. 3,000 trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 3,000 individuals became new spiritual creatures because of an intense and urgent need that they felt as a result of hearing the sermon. They're seeing and feeling for the first time in their lives leads them to passionately respond with the question to Peter and the the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So you could ask, what, what needs are they feeling so strongly to cry out almost in unison, brothers, what shall we do? What need do they possibly have that would lead to such an urgent question? How can we know this? We know from Peter's answer in verse 38. So they ask, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here's what Peter does. He identifies the two most urgent needs of every human being, every one of us in this room, every human being who has ever lived on planet earth. He identifies the two most fundamental needs. And those are number one, forgiveness from God for your sins and an indwelling Holy Spirit in your heart. Those are the two most fundamental, urgent, critical needs of every human being. And then Peter describes two to-dos as to how to receive those needs that they're crying out for. What are those two to-dos? One is repent. What does that mean? Such a churchy word. It isn't our word. It is a re-word. Repent. You've heard it. But just to refresh your memory, it's to rethink, reconsider. It's to turn from what you see is an offense to God and to turn away from him, from that, and turn towards God. Chattanooga Christian, you are in the building. We are so glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Whoop, whoop. They're here. And you walk into the sanctuary and the preacher's yelling, yelling, repent, repent. I'm sure you're excited. (laughs) Don't worry, there's more. 
But repent, it's turning, turning away from sin, turning towards God, aligning yourself with what he says, accepting that what his, his assessment of things, he is true. How he describes and defines things, it's true. If you want to know what's real, you go to him, you listen to his word, you study his word, you ask his spirit to reveal truth to you. Repentance is simply recognizing what is bad, what is sinful, what is out of accord, what is out of alignment with God's word and his truth, and turning away from it because you are interestingly drawn towards it, turning away, agreeing with God about it, and turning to him and moving towards him. It's a change of mind and heart. It's a rethink. And then he says, get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So what is that? Well, we know of water baptism, you know, and we're not going to go down that path because Christians love to argue about some things that are just not primary number one issues, like when and how much water. We're not going there. So there's the water baptism thing. There's also this thing that the water baptism thing symbolizes, and that's baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that when you, according to Scripture, when you trust Christ, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. God, the Father, and Jesus at his right hand sends the Holy Spirit to indwell your being. To come inside of you, not just on you like he was on lots of people in the Old Testament, but inside he comes inside. And that creates a radical transformation that affects, that, that manifests more and more over time for the Christian life as you trust and follow him. So those are the two things, two fundamental needs, forgiveness and the Holy Spirit inside, two things to do, repent and get baptized. So what's extraordinary about these 3,000 people? 3,000 people come to Christ. What's extraordinary about them? This is relatively extraordinary. These are the Jews from Jerusalem and Judea. These are the ones who were in Jerusalem during Jesus' Passion Week. These were the ones who, when Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on the foal of a donkey, worshipped him. They sung, Hosanna, Hosanna. There was a crowd of people. So many, it bothered the religious leaders. It got their attention. They were concerned that Jesus was gaining traction, misleading people. But these are the people, these are the Jews who, who were excited. Some of them were excited. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is here. Hosanna, Hosanna. Save us from this Roman occupation. Bring us political deliverance. Take over, Jesus. These were the same people that five days later said, give me Barabbas. We choose Barabbas. Away with him, that Jesus. Crucify him. Crucify him. Five days. Here, then here. What's up with that? Have you ever gotten caught up in mob talk? There's a lot of that nowadays. And these little things called smartphones, man, you can just plug into mob talk anytime you want. And you can get into the stream of consciousness of mob talk. Mob talk. You know, a conversation that that's, tends to extremes and it exaggerates from one spectrum to, the, uh, to another about some issue or even some person and 
Haven't you ever gotten kind of caught up in that? In the pathos of it all, and you, you want to chime in. So many others are expressing outwardly, you know, they're texting, they're, they're, they're commenting, they're expressing what you're also tempted to think or say, and so you get swept away just for a moment, just for a short season, and you put in your two cents. And a few hours later, you want to erase your account on Facebook <laughs> because the blowback is coming. You ever gotten caught up in mob talk? That is not how the church works. It is not how God's people work. Work. It is not how God works. He doesn't work using mob talk. What's interesting about how God works is Christianity is a uniquely personal thing. When you look at God's word, God is never speaking mob talk. Hey, you all, you all just do this and you'll be fine. No, when you read God's word, and many of you have, have had this experience where maybe even during a sermon, you go, feel like, I felt like God was talking just to me. What is that? That's the way God relates to his people. Personally, he speaks to your heart and he does it uniquely. In his timing, in his way. He doesn't deal with each of us the same way. He deals with each of us uniquely, individually, and yet we are one. We are one body. That's the beauty of the church. We don't lose our individuality when we come into the church. We actually get to offer it up and become part of a whole. And our gifts get blended in with other people's gifts. And we get better every time someone joins the church. If you look in this text, you'll... Notice there are places, there are words in here where it's clear. It's like, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, every single one of you be baptized. Do you see that? In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children. And then to the end, save yourselves Save yourselves from this untoward, crooked, perverse generation. Save yourselves. So God deals personally with all of us. So these are the people that have had a change of heart. These flip-floppers. Remember the preacher, Peter, he flip-flopped too. He denies Jesus. He went fishing when he was supposed to wait for the Spirit. And it is this Peter who is preaching with confidence and boldness here. This just emphasizes that it's God's work to change us. It's God's work. It's his work that enables us to repent and believe. This is not something you can pick up and do. You can't pick up Christianity. It picks you up. You can't just try it out. Because if you are, you're not really trying it. You can't try Christianity. It tries you. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not a work of man. And that's what was happening during the sermon that Peter was sharing with these people. It's a work of God that enables and challenges and causes you to radically reassess your life, your thinking, your practices. It starts with, number one, seeing what you could never have seen before. You see something in a way you never saw it before. 
because you were blind to it. You were spiritually dead, spiritually blind. God has to open your eyes. And now you see something you've always seen, but you see it from a completely new perspective. Interesting believer, is it not, that even though our eyes have been opened, our eyes can grow dim over time, can't they? We need to be recited like the new believer is with regularity. So number one, we see things. Number two, feeling what we could not feel before. Why? Because we were dead. We were numb. We were numb to the things of God. I guess I should say, if you're not a believer, you're dead to the things of God. If you're a believer, you can get so numb that you feel dead to the things of God, can't you? Kind of scary when that happens. And then thirdly, this crowd, they saw something they'd never seen before. They felt something they never felt before. Then they responded. They responded to the truth unlike they'd never acted before because they were made alive. They were dead. Now they're alive. Those of us that profess faith, we have Christ. We're alive. We're in the kingdom. And sometimes we act like orphans. We're God's precious children and we act like orphans. And we're fearful and we're insecure and we want to numb out the pain, pursue pleasure, and we do sometimes, don't we? We have a whole idol matrix that we can turn to to get a pleasure hit, a power hit, a control hit, a security hit. <laughs> and we're his children, we're his kids. Our hearts can grow hard. We need him to keep softening it, don't we? So whether you're not a believer and you're kind of checking out the claims of Christ, or maybe you're not a believer and you're not even checking it out, guess what? The Holy Spirit can reach you. <laughs> he can cut you to the heart. That's what happened. Look, Peter preaches. He kind of sums it up in 36. He basically says, look, Jesus, whom God the Father made Lord and Christ, Master and Savior. This Jesus, whom you crucified. Oh my gosh. They're seeing that now. They never saw that they had any culpability with regards to this Galilean's death on a cross. Now they see it. Jesus came to save them. In part by dying for their sins on that cross. Their sins of unbelief, their sins of flip-flopping, their sins of turning to idols and other things to numb out the pain and the hardships of life. They began to see it. They were cut to the heart. So here's Peter's message, his three-minute message. In short, the Holy Spirit's been poured out into individual hearts like the prophet Joel prophesied in chapter 2. Jesus, God's anointed one, the descendant of David, has come and proven his identity in accord with prophecy. And you, by your rejection of him in your hearts, as revealed by your involvement in his crucifixion and his death, you are partially responsible for killing God on the cross. They started to see that by the power of the Holy Spirit during this sermon. And their hearts, they were cut to the heart by the sword of truth 
by this sermon that Peter was preaching. What does he do? He basically has three points and he quotes three scriptures. Is it Peter that caused them to repent? Is it this eloquent speech that Peter's giving? No. It's the Holy Spirit illuminating God's word in the hearts of men. Exactly how he does it with all of us. Exactly how he can do it right now. If he so chose. Cut to the heart by the word of God. So these people saw that they'd foolishly and wickedly rejected Jesus. Remember, away with him, crucify him. And I know you may never have thought those words, especially believers. You're going, I would never say that about my Jesus. But probably just yesterday, even this morning, you had a choice to draw near to Jesus or pull away and numb out. And what do we do often? Choose to numb out. What are you saying to Jesus in that moment? Away with you. You're dead to me right now. This is where I'm going to draw life. This is where I'm going to find satisfaction. This is where I'm going to feel approved and accepted around these people, not you, Jesus. You ever done that? As a believer... They were cut to the heart. They saw what they'd never seen before. They felt what they'd never felt before, this deep conviction. And they needed, they they were desperate. What are we going to do? There's no remedy. I killed the Savior. He's coming back to judge mankind. How am I going to fall out in that judgment? Oh my gosh, these were Jews. They knew. Separation from God. Death. Damnation. What, brothers, what shall we do? Peter gives it to him. It's not complicated. Repent. Own your brokenness. Own your depravity. Own your idols. Own your impotence. You can't do it. You can't obey me. You need me. You need my righteousness, my perfect righteousness. And I've provided it to you through my son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life. And you deserve to die because of this. You deserve to die just because of what you did over those five days, even one hour of those five days. But over that week, oh my gosh, you deserve eternal condemnation. But I've sent my son because I love you. And you can't work your way into my family. You can't work your way into my love. You can't earn my approval. It is a gift. And it's received when you repent and entrust your whole being to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's how. That's the only way to trust Christ's shed blood to cover your sins because the penalty of death is, the penalty of sin is death. And for centuries, the Jews understood through the sacrificial system, the only way to deal with sin was for shed blood. Something had to die for my sins to be forgiven. And for the longest time, it was animals. But now Jesus, the Passover lamb, comes and he dies once for all. One perfect lamb died once for all. And his shed blood is how we receive forgiveness and cleansing. So you have to put your faith and trust in him, you repent, you 
own your wickedness. You own your sin. You call it what it is. You don't make any excuses for it. Can I just tell you, I just make excuses all day long. I am so defensive sometimes. My propensity to self-righteousness and to build my own reputation is so intense. God, what shall I do? And he says through his spirit, repent, Chuck. It's the same as always. Repent, own it, claim it. And run to the cross and remember that Jesus knew your name and he shed his blood for that sin too. And receive forgiveness. Know that you're forgiven, justified, adopted. You're mine. I got you. I'm not going to let you go but I am going to keep rearranging your heart. I am going to keep taking things out of it that you want to build into it that are idols and replace them all with me. And yeah, you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to learn how to lean into suffering because love requires suffering. You don't really love somebody unless you're willing to suffer with them, maybe even suffer for them. That's love. Jesus came and gave up his whole life died for those whom he loved. He loved us first. And then when we repent and believe, we receive the capacity to truly love. Please understand when God tells you young Christians, you know, you can only marry Christians and you're going, well, that's kind of crazy. There's all these people out there. We're supposed to be tolerant and loving this. I like this guy or I like this gal. I want to pursue that person. They're not a believer. Why does God say you should not pursue marriage with a non-believer. Why? Because a non-believer doesn't have the capacity to love from the depths of their heart you. Now, there's all kinds of things that God allows, and people marry, and they're not Christians, and one, one is and one's not, and they marry, and what does God do? He's often very gracious, and he uses that relationship to influence one or the other. But do you see the point? I can't love unless I have the love of God in me. That's why I need the spirit dwelling in my soul because I harden, I leak. The spirit leaks out. I need to keep being filled. I need to keep being softened. I need to keep being enabled to see what I don't want to see, feel what I don't want to feel and respond in a way that my will often says, no, I don't, not doing that. God has to do the work and he does and he won't let go and he'll keep doing it. In his timing, not in my timing. But I have to be continually undone. So these 3,000, they feel deep, agonizing conviction. They see their true situation and they ask, what shall we do? Peter responds, choose to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. What was baptism? Baptism by God's design was an outward expression of an inward reality. It was a way that a new believer in Jesus' day, in Peter's day, during this sermon, it was the way the new believer said, I repent of my sins, but I attest, I publicly proclaim Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And that's the point. Repent of your sins and reaffirm that Christ Jesus is your master. He's your king. 
He is your authority over all things, every aspect of life. Nothing gets opted out of this. He's king over all, all of me, everything. And I will surrender and follow him. That's what baptism was. It was a public expression of that. So that's what Peter's saying. So this thing called salvation, 3,000 people. In John 3, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he's speaking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus heard about Jesus, knew about Jesus, was drawn to Jesus. Maybe Nicodemus thought, you know, Jesus has some abilities that I'm a good guy. Jesus has some abilities. Maybe I can get them added on to who I am. I can get the add on. I can find out. I can get the download. You know, I can get this app, you know, in my heart, in my spirit, and then I'll be more powerful, more potent, more reflecting of God. And Jesus has to realign his thinking of sorts. And he said, wait, wait, wait. This isn't something you can add on. You got to start all over. You got to turn it all the way off and turn it all the way back on. Reboot. You have to be born again. And he tells him in there, he said, the Holy Spirit does that. And guess what? The Holy Spirit's like the wind. You can't see it. You only see it after it's gone by, by seeing the effects of the wind. Right? The Holy Spirit goes where he wants. Why? He's God. He can go wherever he wants and do whatever he wants. You can't control him. You can't manipulate him. You can't say this... The 80, you know, 18 word prayer, and he's obligated to come in and transform your life. Sorry, repentance is a hard thing. Repentance isn't the result of repeating words or doing a ritual or getting water poured on your head. That's not what makes you new. What makes you new is a work of the Holy Spirit. And the word says to get the gift of the Holy Spirit, you have to truly repent. Own this. Agree with God about it. Agree to turn from it by his enabling. And move, move, walk. Do something different in God's direction, trusting him to renew you. And then be baptized. Publicly identify, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I am not ashamed to say that. Oh, how easy that is to say in a church while I'm preaching, no less. How easy that is. Whole nother thing to... Identify with Christ in the world, at work, at school, with your non-Christian friends, at the movie theater, at the restaurant, or at the mall, or wherever you are. Much harder then. But it starts here. It starts with the body, identifying with Jesus, repenting and identifying and aligning yourself with Christ. So do you get the progression? You hear God's word and you understand how it applies to you. Is that happening? You may not like it when it happens sometimes. By golly, God, leave that part of my life alone. Why do you have to convict me of that? You know I struggle in this area. (laughs) But he does. He keeps convicting you till you make a change, till you start to do something different. And if you don't, he won't stop because he loves you too much to leave you the same. Is that happening? Does that happen in your life? That's good if it does. That's evidence. The Holy Spirit's working. He's in there. He enables you to reconsider, whereas before this, your thinking was darkened. You had mob think. You had world think. You went with whatever the crowd wanted or said. That's what you did. You were swayed with it. You were dumb by it. 
But now you have the ability to think for yourself, to reconsider, to rethink. Whereas before, your thinking was just clouds. It was clouded, darkened. And then you remember, you remember, they remembered what they did that week. And they saw what they did in a new light. And they're rethinking, they're reconsidering, and they're remembering created a new feeling, not a pleasant one, a conviction, a deep sorrow for what they've done. And then these 3,000, you know what they did? They owned it and they repented before God and his witnesses. And then they received the public identification that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. That's what happened when we accepted those students. Remember we had that service a while back and a bunch of eight students joined the church. They took vows. What were they doing before the body? Acknowledging to God and the church that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and I resolve to follow him. Repent and resolve to remain. That's what they did. And that's what we did when we became Christians, many of us. And that's what you need to do. That's what God is urging you, you to do. That's what the Holy Spirit, I pray, is drawing you to do if you've never done that. And let's say you have done that. But your eyes are growing dim. You're feeling. You're becoming desensitized by the ways of the world. You're becoming insensitive to the needs of of your family, of your spouse, of the neighbors around you, desensitized, insensitized. You're losing your ability to feel and your will, you're struggling. You're falling back into your old habits. They seem to have more control of you than the Holy Spirit. Believer, if that's you, what do you do? Repent and believe afresh. It's the same recipe. But the amazing thing is you can't repent and believe unless the Holy Spirit is working and enabling you, drawing you towards himself. And if you have him inside of you, that's a much easier process for, for God, as if anything's difficult. It's not. But you know what I mean. So we got to grow in this. we got to grow in this relationship of being exposed, humble, broken, running to the cross, being re-accepted, if you will, re-encouraged, rejuvenated, renewed, and God will never run out. You can never outrun God and go to him, oh, sorry, that was 1,623rd time. I don't have any more for you. You're done. No, he never runs out. He wants you to just keep coming and coming and coming. And what's interesting is the more you come, the more time you're spending with him, right? And the more time you spend with him, the more he makes you like him. And then you find over time that your heart is more aligned with Christ than maybe you thought. That's a good thing because he's conforming you into the image of his son through this process the church calls sanctification. What is that? It's this repetitive cycle of being exposed, broken, convicted, surrendering to God, running to the cross, remembering that you've been washed clean by the gospel of grace and then being renewed, rejuvenated, rebirthed again. You with me? So that's the deal. 
That's the deal. So here's what we're going to do. Um, we, I'm going to give you an opportunity to repent and identify publicly that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Listen. Um, unashamedly. Yeah, this is an invitation. We don't do this in the Presbyterian church. How can I not do this? It's the application of the text. Peter says, repent and be baptized. Well, we don't have a big pool up here. I guess we could get big buckets and I can sprinkle every. We don't do that. Baptism is a more solemn thing than that, okay? But it symbolizes identifying yourself with Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We can do that this morning. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray in a minute and finish the sermon. And then the praise team is going to come up and they're going to play our last song. No, it doesn't have 15 verses. There are no buses waiting. This is not to tug on your emotional heartstrings. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you that there's something in your heart, something that you are saying literally to God, away from me, God, I'm keeping this thing. I'm keeping this behavior. I'm keeping this habit. And you're convicted by that this morning. You need to repent. You need to claim that thing. That is my sin. I do it. I'm wrong. I need a savior today. Then repent and believe afresh in the gospel of grace. And then the other thing, which is a little more tricky because I don't want anyone feeling like if you don't get up and come down front, you're not identifying with Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what we're doing. But there may be some in this room that for your benefit, for your benefit, nobody else, this isn't to impress anyone. This is not to gain approval. This is not so somebody will think you're more spiritual than maybe they used to think you were. It's not what this is about. But if the Holy Spirit is leading you to say, I need to publicly identify that Jesus is truly my Lord and my Savior, my Master, my King, my Rescuer. He is. And I need to identify publicly that that is the case. This is the safest place in the world to do it, right? The church. So, I'm going to pray. The sermon will be over. But I'm going to ask you, while I'm praying, if you need to repent of something specific, the Holy Spirit has really laser-beamed on your heart during the last 30 minutes. I'm challenging you. Repent. Own it. Say, Lord, yes, that's me. Yes, I do that. Yes, I'm tempted by that. Yes, I have these thoughts. Yes, I have these attractions. Yes, I did that. Again and again, Lord, I did that. I keep doing that. I hate it. If you need to repent and own it afresh, do that during our prayer time. And then during the song, in Christ alone, in Christ alone. No, it's not just as I am. In Christ alone, then come down and stand with me. That's all. Come down and stand with me. If you choose not to, that doesn't mean you're not aligning your heart with Jesus. If anybody thinks that of somebody else in this room, you're wrong and you're in sin. You need to come down and repent of that. <laughs> but if you need to identify with Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come. And then when the song is over, I've asked a group of people to come up and they're going to kind of not, they may need to be in the middle of the group. Okay. Elders should be the lead repenters of their church. Sorry, elders, three under the bus. 
No pressure. But I've asked people to come and be available after the benediction. If you need somebody to pray with about something God's working in your heart and in your life, and you just need somebody to pray about that with, a group of people will be out this door and down the hall, along the hall, and I will be in the uh, lead pastor's office. We'll be available. We're here to pray. But during the song, if you feel like you need to publicly identify with Jesus as Lord and Savior, come down, stand with me, and then uh, Mark Nix is going to pray over us um, right after the song is over. He's going to pray over us, and then I'm going to read the benediction. Okay, you with me? And then we're over. We're done. But anyone who needs prayer, personal prayer, and you want to pray with a warm body like me, I'll be down there. Come pray with us. Do business with God. Often we need encouragement and courage from others to do that. We're here. We want to be available for you. You with me? Pray with me. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you that you are real. Thank you that your word is true, absolutely true. And it cuts like a double-edged sword, separating bone from marrow. It cuts, it separates what's the false me and the real me. And it slays me open. Father, thank you. Because the only reason you would do that to any of us is because you want to do heart surgery. You want to take out the cancer that's called sin in our lives. You want to take us one more round. It's one more round of healing salve that we need to become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. Father, there may be somebody here in this room who's never trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. May they hear the good news of this message that Jesus came to do everything they couldn't do. He earned a perfect grade, 100% in his behavior, in his thought life, in his words, A++. And you can get his grade if you acknowledge that your grade is a failure. And you need his grade, and you need his righteousness. And you believe that he came to take the punishment that sin justly deserves, and that's death. And he died on a cross for you. He shed his blood for you so that your sins, all of them, the ones you've committed up to today, the ones you commit from the day till you die or he comes back, they're all covered if you will repent and entrust your life and heart to Jesus Christ. So now in the quietness of your hearts, repent, own it, name it, say this thing that's ugly and nasty and deadly is mine. It comes out of me. Own it. Tell God about it. Ask him for his cleansing, his purifying. Ask him to clean you up. Whether you're a new believer or you've been one for 40 years, confess, repent, turn. Do business with him right now. And may we all know, Father, may we all remember that this opportunity is, it stands. It's an open invitation to stay in relationship with God and to continually repent and believe as your Holy Spirit drills down deeper into our being, as he realigns our souls. We need to continually, we need to live in a lifestyle of repentance and belief. May we do that. 
Holy Spirit inside of us, enable us, power us, enable us to do this. Thank you, God. Thank you that the gospel is absolutely true and it is the power to bring transformation to our lives. And then, Lord, if there are those that are led, only those that feel they need to do this, may they be led by your spirit to identify with Christ as Lord and Savior. And may they come during this song. So, Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it cuts like a knife. Thank you that it heals what is so broken inside of us. And thank you for the body of Christ and a place to do real business with you, with one another. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.